We are WOZOLP Knoxville, 103.9 FM, The People's Radio. In the People's Radio, this is Wozo Radio, WOZO 103.9 LPFM. I am J- Lord Fader. Sorry, a little cognitive dissonance there. And you can get us at wozoradio.com. We're also on Instagram, Facebook. So without further ado, I've got some music queued up. This is The People's Radio. Production. W O C O 
93.9 LPFM. So I took place and helped organize the uh, candlelight vigil for the murder of Tyree Nichols in Memphis. Was it just last week? Yeah, last weekend. It was last Sunday, actually, down at the courthouse. And one of the things that struck me, um, it, what happened was I got some, some of my friends um, reached out to me and said, hey, what's, is it because they know I, I'm a tree hugger and I go to these events? Uh, is there a Tyree Nichols memorial or something? And I reached out to two of my friends in the community, and you know we all jointly decided to do it. But the thing was, one of them was gone, and it was, you know, I've organized a lot of different events. And what I was struck by was how easy it was to organize another memorial for another poor person who's been murdered in the streets. It's gotten to be like a well-oiled machine. I mean, it was, the people knew what to do when they showed up. They knew what to do. They stayed. Like, with the organizers, we finished it like in an hour, and we were like, okay, well, that's all we thought of we could do right now. And we set up a little candlelight. We had everybody put their candles on the steps by the courthouse, and it became an altar. There were skateboards and stuff there because he was a skateboarder. And the people stayed. They were everyone. Nobody left. <laughs> Even after we did our thank yous, and we're like, it was because they had more work to do. They knew what they needed to do, and it was just sort of like almost a mass consciousness event. But the thing was, it was it came together because everybody knew what to do, and that repetitiveness actually frightened me a little bit because I think with repetition we can get used to the most atrocious, horrible things. We become dehumanized by it, and the fact that there's a danger i think that after a while and this is tragic to say that so many people get murdered by the state and i notice i use those words the state not the police there the state's tools but by the state that people get used to it it's just another it's once a week now and it's just sort of like another it doesn't quite hit the media and all the rest and i think that's what makes it more important for us to recognize when these family members when these and mr nichols was a skateboarder you should check out his website he was a photographer he was a member it wasn't when he died it wasn't just an individual but an entire community his friends his family the people around him the people that experienced the trauma even i mean it's it was more and we we i think we need to look and make sure that we humanize and recognize people as more than just victims when they're murdered by state violence. That we recognize them as human beings. And in his case, I watched his skateboard video, and I think I even talked about it some. And he he, he was doing some. You can check him out on YouTube. I I was actually I was just talking to a skating buddy. I can't touch my right shoulder with my finger because of some of my um, prior antics with skateboards. And I watched him and. He would hit, I mean, he would do these crazy stunts. I mean, like push Steve Ingram style. And for those that know who I'm talking about, Steve Ingram style stunts again and again and again, and not just one of them. And he was a photographer, so he got it documented. What I saw was a young man that every time he hit the ground, he got up and got back on his deck and did the stunt again. But it showed his tenacity and his discipline and that he had fallen a lot doing these studs and he just kept doing it again and again and again and again, getting them perfect. And then we hear in California, like days later, it was videos released of the 
officers shooting a guy down with no legs in the streets. And they said, oh, well, he had a knife. It's the death penalty. He had to die. But you wonder for a person, if they'll kill a person that literally cannot walk these agents of the state, which is what they are. And it's not just here. I mean, I, another thing that I realized is this is not sort of an accidental byproduct of capitalism or the criminal injustice system. It is a function of it. Indeed, it depends on endless cycles of violence to maintain itself, to maintain its order of the benefit of the few for the many. Of course, it takes violence and not just here overseas. Our police are really just a branch of the military. One branch of the military kills poor brown and black people overseas. And then the other branch of the military kills them and keeps them under control here. The goals are the same. It's a means of social control against the poor. And I fear to say it, and I spoke to my, I, it's going to get worse, I fear. It's going to get worse. And but as these cycles of violence. And it's also interesting that the state, the biggest perpetuator of violence, some could argue in human history, I mean, you can parse out the states, but in terms of just sheer body count, of course the state kills more people than any individual ever could dream of doing. But isn't it interesting how this purveyor of mass violence, the number one weapons crack dealer across the world, I mean, it would make a crack dealer blush to see the amount of sheer ordinance, murder ordinance. I mean, the, how did we send a, we just sent tanks to the Ukraine to de-escalate the situation. Yes, tanks de-escalate it because it's big freaking business. But it's murder there to, main, to control the poor and it's murder here. And I think fundamentally that they, they can't stop themselves. The capitalists, the wealthy, the oligarchs, the 1%, they so fear and hate and loathe and fear the masses of the poor that they've created largely in desperation, that they're willing to let their agents of the state get more and more brutal. I mean, they killed the, through NAFTA and GATT, wiped out a lot of the inner city's jobs, and then through the war on drugs, another dandy tool against the poor, the, they made marijuana, which grows like dandelions, worth more than silver, and cocaine, which takes pennies per ounce to produce, worth more than gold as it's that whole picture of it. But in all this, in this perspective of sort of the international and internal police state and its targets and the rest, I think we gotta keep coming back home and make sure that we continue, don't we don't lose these people. We don't lose them in all the numbers and the media and the hype and the interviews and everything, that we look into these people's lives as family members, as human beings, because if otherwise the state will use the media to dehumanize them and then use that, the next step after dehumanization, it's like breathing through a respirator to quote a famous artist. It makes it easier to perpetuate the violence. I think if anything else, just as a means of self-defense against the agents of the state and the state apparatus, we have to say presente and remember our fallen. And remember, be they buried in mass graves in South America or shot down in the streets here in Knoxville. Anyway, you're listening to the People's Radio, WOZO 103.9 LPFM. Let's get into some metal. This is Nervosa. Kill the silence. Oh, wait, i got to make sure for my listening audience it's maxed out. People's Radio.
Once again, you are listening to WOZO 103.9 LPFM, and I am testing my voice. I actually got it on the FM right now, and it actually sounds fine. Uh, that was Revolting Children by that's Ronald Dolls, Matilda. And then next I've got queued up, it looks like World Destruction, and then we're going to go from there. But I don't really like... Yeah, you can hear a little bit of buzzing there. We're going to have to work on that a little bit, maybe. No, what is causing the buzz? 
All right, you're listening to People's Radio, WOZO 103.9 LPFM. This is the People's Radio. I am Lord Fader. Let's get back into the music. This is, of course, the classic uh, World Destruction by John Leonard and Africa Bombata.
talking about the importance of remembering the fallen as human beings and comrades and I have to report that a friend of mine and Robert Hoyt just passed. He died when the meteor came in a couple of days ago. And I could count on, you know, my fingers and toes, people that have just been at movement organizing and tree huggery for decades, seriously, all the way. And on, on that list would be Robert. Uh, he, I first knew him, he had, a, I think his cat's name was Sid, Sid the paraplegic cat. And he, Robert had a cat that he was bringing, he brought to all the protests, to, to all the events. He was a, move, a movement musician, a troubadour of the revolution, a living embodiment of memory and history of the musical traditions of resistance in this country and elsewhere. And he created content and he brought content back from the past. But as a human, he, that cat, I watched it interact with him. I was like, what? And the cat had an awesome freaking life. That was my first introduction to Mr. Hoyt was that he cared for this. It was a full-time job and he lived out of his truck mainly. And he was so quiet punk in that way that he, everywhere he went, the cat listened to music and he could watch the cat and it was down. And Robert went on for, he would be an, all the protest with his guitar and with his voice and all the way up into the moment he died he was fighting for the land and the forest and the trees up to his home he for his entire life walked the walk talked the talk lived the life he went i believe his place was off grid and last time I saw him was at a, we'll call it a Hartwood conference, a tree huggery conference out in Indiana. And he, I think he probably knew he was ill with what took him out. But Ollie, he talked to me about the 321 campaign where we're fighting to try to keep this dot from blast. He wanted to know all about that. And he, we had a long talk about apps. He said he was finding historical sites to fight the logging around his home and in his home by, by home. I mean, his bioregion everywhere within a hundred miles of where he lived was his home. And he taught, he was, he said he kept running into these sites that he knew had archaeological significance, but he was having trouble documenting them. And he, I had told him, I said, dude, that's, you, you can use a, there's an app that puts embeds GPS coordinates in every picture you take. And we talked about that for a minute. And so in his spirit, I want to play this next song. And there's basically, I've known in my life, I've been fortunate enough to know basically two solid movement troubadours, revolutionary musicians, you know, the sort of the Pete Seegers and, you know, the Little Red Songbook. And one of them was Robert and the other was David Rovix. And I have David Rovix I'm going to play after I play this song by Robert uh, talking about Robert Hoyt. And I think it's important, you know, that we remember not only our fallen who fall by police violence, but also our revolutionaries and our people who give their entire lives to the movement and are literally fighting the system and the state, would it be it destroying the forest or Black Panthers like Lorenzo Irving, who's given his entire lifetime. We get these luminescent stars, people that organize five, 
four or five years and they're bright, but then they go. But then you get people who organize for their lifetimes, 30 or 40 years, and the cumulative wave they create through just persistent work over a lifetime is incalculable in comparison. And we just had lost one of those people, but he left a tidal wave behind him. He contributed to the mass swell through music and action and his life and participation that he should be remembered. So I want to remember him through this program. I'm going to dedicate my entire show, the show, to Robert Hoyt. You know, as they say in South America about the disappeared, they read their name. Then they say, and I'm going to say it for him, Robert Hoyt, presente. This is Robert Hoyt, uh, Minds for Minds, I, I Hate Money, one of my favorite songs of his. And then after that, we'll get into some David Rovix, who's going to talk about him, maybe play some more music. People's Radio. I hate the smell of cash I hate money We've all got our little stash I hate money It's the most addictive stuff No matter how much you have It's never enough I hate money Money killed my brother I hate money It's killing my mother I hate it, I hate it Look what it's done to you and me It's not just the root the whole damn tree I hate money It's that carrot on a stick I hate money As I turn another trick I hate to think That they would take away mine And that's all it takes To keep me in line I hate money Money killed my brother I hate money It's killing my mother what it's done to you and me It's not just the root It's the whole damn tree So what if we treated it like the trash that it is I refuse to use it to pay for our goods and services Then this thing money become a thing of the past And nanny left around it could use to wipe your brow I hate money, money killed my brother I hate money, it's killing my mother I hate it, I hate it, look what it's done to you and me It's not just the root, it's the whole damn tree Money killed my brother I hate money It's killing my mother I hate it, I hate it Look what it's done to you and me You know I hate it Yeah, I hate money Remembering Robert Hoyt. You can find this in written and podcast forms at davidrovix.com slash this week, as well as on Substack and Patreon. My old friend Robert Hoyt, 
singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, organizer, nurse, father, lover of the wild, died on the morning of February 1st, 2023, at the age of 68, only weeks after being diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer. He hadn't wanted to make his illness public, and only a very few of his friends and relatives were aware of it. I've been getting beautiful personal messages from many people I haven't seen much or at all since the 1990s with updates. Just to say from the outset, I will not be writing the definitive remembrance of Robert, and I'm not sure if anyone else could do that if they wanted to try to either. It may be a stretch to say that Robert led many lives, but he certainly embraced a number of different identities over his lifetime, certainly on a musical level at least. I suspect any thorough effort to pay homage to the man would have to involve at least four or five different people who knew him during different stages of his life. The Robert I knew best was probably the one known by the widest array of people throughout the 1990s when he was a traveling troubadour who identified strongly under the banner of Earth First. Robert was born and raised in Macon, Georgia, along with two brothers. If he had other siblings, I hope they will forgive me. I'm going on memory here. I was introduced to Robert by another singer-songwriter from the state of Georgia, Chris Chandler, who whisked me up off the streets of Cambridge, Massachusetts, one cold winter day, to take me to upstate New York, where the People's Music Network was having one of their biannual gatherings. If memory serves, this would have been January 1991. Robert had come to the PMN gathering mainly because Chandler recommended it, and it was a long way to drive from Decatur, the hip neighborhood in the Atlanta metro area where he was living then, and where he maintained a P.O. box long after he no longer had a residence there. I don't think Robert ever came back to a PMN gathering after that one. For me, this gathering was the first of many, and the beginning of a long-term friendship with Robert, along with other folks I met there that winter. Robert had recently recorded an album called As American As You. Like Dumpster Diving Across America and Mind's Eye, which he put it out for the next decade, it was full of hard-hitting and often truly eloquent driving songs featuring Robert expertly playing guitar, bass, keyboards, and singing brilliant harmonies with himself, mostly on subjects related to environmental activism and critiquing various aspects of modern industrial high-tech society in favor of the ecosystems, the trees, the animals, the wild, with a smattering of songs on more acceptable subjects, but no less heartfelt ones for Robert, such as loneliness and lost love. In the early 90s, I was moving around a lot, but whether I was living in Massachusetts, Connecticut, San Francisco, or Seattle, Robert would be touring there and coming to visit. We'd swap songs and talk about what we'd each been up to, which for me meant hearing lots of great stories from Robert's work. Robert's work throughout the 90s mainly involved touring around the U.S. and playing on college campuses, sponsored by environmental activist groups on each campus, often affiliated with the Student Environmental Action Coalition, and spending his free time, during the summers, on the front lines of eco-defense, blocking logging roads and supporting tree sits, such as the Cove Mallard campaign in Idaho, about which he wrote a great song by the name of Jack Road. At some point in our regular encounters, he would mention the idea of me traveling with him, playing bass guitar and singing harmonies. I was always too busy with whatever I thought was more important than traveling with Robert, until I finally took him up on the idea, which was either in the spring of 96 or 97. Maybe someone out there remembers which. Fans of Robert's album, As American As You, will be aware that Robert's father worked on a military base, claiming to be a fixer of clocks. 
As Robert grew up, he realized that this was just a story, and to my knowledge, he never learned what his father actually did for a living. His dad had died sometime before I met Robert, but his mother was very much still around. Our time together that spring began with a week or so at Robert's mother's home in Macon, being looked after wonderfully by her as we rehearsed the set lists until I got his bass parts and harmonies down cold. Then we hit the road. What followed was an absolutely amazing education on so many fronts. Traveling on my own or with other young friends was always memorable, but traveling with someone like Robert, who knew people everywhere and sang for them, was a whole new thing. I had traveled as a bass player with other artists before, but never had I met so many kindred spirits in the space of a few months. In that spring of traveling together, I met people who I'd see again on many occasions who became long-term friends and comrades in too many places to list, from Vermont to Tennessee to Indiana to Wisconsin and so many other places. It was during these long hours of driving, day after day, week after week, month after month, when we got into a whole lot of both talking about life on planet Earth as well as recounting stories from our pasts. A few months may not seem like a long time, but when you're spending several hours each day during that time alone in a car with one other person, it can be intense in various ways, but with Robert, overwhelmingly in positive ways. I won't paper over the negative ones, though. The biggest of them being Robert's cat, Claude. Just before I started writing this missive, I discovered that the documentary from back around then, Travels with Claude, has just been put up on YouTube by the filmmaker, Paul Bonesteel. I've been watching it again today for the first time in decades. It's a wonderful document of history and tribute to Robert, his music, and his organizing. For those who haven't seen the movie, Claude was a paraplegic tabby cat, paralyzed from the waist down by a tragic accident involving an ex-girlfriend of Robert's and a closing door. Claude came out of it decidedly worse for wear. Many pet owners would euthanize a cat in such a situation, but Robert nurtured the orange cat and learned from veterinarians how to position Claude and squeeze his bladder the right way, which made his tail flip up into the air and caused him to squirt pee in whatever direction Robert was aiming him. Helping Claude pee every eight hours or so was necessary for keeping the cat alive and prosperous. For Robert, this meant that throughout the 1990s, he could never fly anywhere without leaving Claude with a veterinarian capable of looking after him, at great expense. So although he was in demand for gigs all over the country, he did all his touring by land in a pickup truck. Normally Claude's home was the passenger seat of Robert's pickup truck. Robert went through a couple pickup trucks during the 90s, but he always traveled in and largely lived out of a pickup truck with a cab on the back. Just as, soon, just as I soon began to do for many years. During the season I toured with him, Claude had to be relegated to sitting in the back, which he could freely access with a ramp Robert had put in there, which also meant that Claude could slide out of the back and into the front anytime he wanted to let me know just what he thought of the guy usurping his seat in the pickup truck. This was still before either Robert or I had gotten an email account or websites or any of that sort of thing. We took breaks from driving every day to eat at truck stop buffets and use the free phones that back then could be found at each booth. We also spent a lot of time at photocopy places, putting address labels and stamps on untold numbers of postcards we'd mail strategically around the country to promote our gigs to Robert's mailing list. Amid these sorts of activities, as I was writing letters to my girlfriend back in the Northeast, 
I would involuntarily decorate them regularly with bloodstains from my latest wound. Claude clearly believed the best defense was a good offense, which makes sense for a paraplegic cat, and his front legs were probably as muscular and powerful as a small mountain lion. He was definitely taking it easy on me, all told. My memory going back that far is too foggy for me to remember whether I met Anne Feeney through Robert or through Chris Chandler or by some other means, but the late Anne Feeney was a close mutual friend of all of us. When Robert wasn't around and Anne and I could freely talk about our dear friend behind his back, as you do, Anne's chief complaint was the same as mine, which was the mild scent of cat piss that might generally be emanating from the back of Robert's truck. Anne thought that Robert needed a girlfriend and that in order for him to find one, he'd have to lose Claude one way or another. The very thought would have horrified Robert, so Anne would share her laments about the cat with other people. Through Robert, I became very familiar with the wonderful music of folks like Daryl Cherney, Judy Berry, Danny Dolinger, Dana Lyons, Casey Neal, Peg Millett, and others who made up the cultural backbone of the Earth First Network as it existed then. All of Robert's concerts were an introduction to these artists, with live renditions of Who Killed Judy Berry, Ghost of a Chance, Turn of the Wrench, and Dancing on the Ruins being regularly featured. Robert's concerts were also always an introduction to whatever was happening with Earth First related activities, forest defense campaigns, conferences, and other things that were ongoing or coming up somewhere. In the 80s and 90s, there was a fairly popular concept in certain circles of the roadshow or specifically the concept of the Earth First Roadshow, which varied widely, but generally involved at least one speaker and at least one musician doing popular education about the situation with the forests and recruiting for ongoing forest defense campaigns. Anne Feeney was not the only person who thought Robert needed a girlfriend back in the 90s. Robert tended to agree. But most of the time, instead of spending much time hanging out with people like gig organizers and their friends offering to put us up in a nice house with beds and hot running water, Unless the gig organizers in question lived deep in the countryside and off the grid, Robert's plan was generally to turn down these offers in favor of driving an hour or two to an ostensibly nearby patch of national forest land somewhere and camp. Or, technically, he'd sleep in the back of his pickup truck with Claude and I'd camp. Robert was fairly profoundly introverted and seemed more comfortable in the company of one or two old friends than with larger groups of less familiar people. On many nights after gigs, I'd be enjoying myself and my surroundings, while at the same time mildly stewing over having to leave a nice party in some college town so we could go camping in some beautiful remote location where we'd play music together and talk around a campfire, him drinking cheap wine that he always had in the back of his truck and me smoking cannabis that I also always had somewhere accessible. Good times in the woods aside, abandoning most of the parties wasn't a good dating strategy. Eventually, fleetingly, I learned of the lives Robert had lived before he became an Earth-first troubadour. In the 70s, he played in different bands, but he never played me any of the music they might have recorded or told me the names of the bands or the names of any of the hundreds of songs he apparently wrote before he recorded As American As You. He referred to the decade prior to the AIDS crisis as the sleazy 70s because of the amount of gratuitous sex that he thought was going on all over the place, with some concert attendees specializing in developing relationships with different band members, depending on the instrument they played. 
He never seemed to miss the 70s on the rare occasions the subject came up. In the 80s, by his own recounting, he might have qualified as a yuppie, working a good paying IT job, as it would be known in today's jargon, and eating a lot of sushi. Then he quit what he called the high-tech plantation and began to write songs encouraging other people to do the same, such as Quitting Time from his 1995 album Dumpster Diving Across America. For a few years after our time traveling together, I continued to see Robert often. We were both touring in largely the same circles, and our paths often intersected. One memorable evening during this span was September 10th, 2001, when we both sang at a conference related to the global justice movement, organized in part by Ali Rosenblatt, who had recently been a student organizer and was still an organizer there in Indiana, where Robert was now based. The next morning, Robert uncharacteristically woke everyone up to make us listen to the radio, which was reporting that planes had crashed into the Twin Towers. By this time, Robert had found a wonderful woman, an extraordinary organizer named Karen Moskowitz, who could put up with Robert's cat, and they had a daughter together named Cicada, now a brilliant young woman of 23. I guess Cicada would have been about two years old at the time of one of the last gigs Robert and I had together that September in Bloomington. She wandered onto the stage during our show, holding her arms up so her daddy would pick her up, thus completely destroying the depressing atmosphere around the beautiful song Robert was trying to do at the time about a mass lynching that took place in Osceola, Georgia, in which hundreds of local residents threw a piece of wood on the fire that was burning a man alive. The frequency with which I saw Robert, Karen, and Cicada in the two decades since decreased drastically as the 21st century progressed. The last time I saw any of these good folks was six years ago, by my recollection which was the last time I was in either Indiana or Kentucky, where Robert and Karen ultimately had separate homes, Robert in the middle of nowhere next to the Hoosier National Forest, Karen in a town where the humans probably outnumber the squirrels. Robert got a nursing degree sometime along the way and worked as a nurse, taking care of people and having a stable income. I'll bet he had a positive impact on a lot of people's lives, be they patients or co-workers. I'd love to hear some reflections from folks, but I know nothing about all that. Six years ago, when I and a friend visited and stayed with Robert at a place where he was living outside of Bloomington, closer to where he worked, he gave my friend and I a wonderful private concert in his living room. He was working on an entirely new act that he was calling Bob Palindrome, for which he had written an entirely new body of material, the vast majority of which were songs about lost love, some of which, depressing as they are, could have been hits in Nashville if they were being performed by a different artist with connections and those kinds of ambitions. He had worked out his new material entirely on a keyboard, the main instrument he played in the 70s, which he played flawlessly, just like he played the guitar, just like he sang melodies or harmonies. He was wanting to keep his Bob Palindrome identity separate from his identity as a Earth-first troubadour, but now there's no damage that can be done by spilling the beans. I hope all of Robert's other friends, fam, fans, and family agree with me on that judgment call. He asked me for advice on promoting his new act online, a subject I know something about generally, but I know a lot more about promoting Robert Hoyt than Bob Palindrome, and I don't think my suggestions were helpful. I regret that that visit six years ago was the last time I spoke with Robert. I don't know how the time slipped away like that over the past 20 years or so, but it did. 
I don't really know if Robert moved on from being a constantly touring performer, mainly because he wanted to spend more time with his partner and kid, or because he thought it would be more responsible and grown up if he got a real job, or because it had become impossible to tour and perform without being very actively online and engaged with a high-tech plantation in a big way, or because what had for so long been his bread and butter, college gigs that paid well, were all drying up and disappearing as a common phenomenon. Or perhaps all of the above. Robert talked back, I don't know, 20 years or so ago, about how when he stopped trying to get gigs with student environmental groups and such, he also stopped hearing from them. He seemed disillusioned to discover that if he didn't call them, they weren't calling him. I'm not even sure to what extent he was aware that a big part of the reason why he wasn't hearing from them might have been because they no longer existed. One of the folks who let me know that Robert was on his deathbed was Danny Dolinger. Danny and Robert, and I think all the other musicians I mentioned earlier, have long played regularly at annual events put on by an environmental activist network in the Midwest called Heartwood. It's been a long time since I've been among them, but I was happy to hear from Danny that they're still going on, and that only a few months ago at one of these gatherings, Danny and Robert were singing all their great songs of community and resistance together around a campfire. One of the most moving songs Robert wrote that I especially enjoyed singing with him was This Star. He wrote it for Peg Millett while she was in prison for Earth Liberation Front-related activities. It was, the first, it was the perfect song to connect a beautiful, starry night in the forest with a political prisoner in a concrete box somewhere who might get to see the night sky every now and then, if they're lucky. And when you see this star, think about me, about the times we had and times yet to be. Look for the star and know when you do that I'll be watching this star and thinking of you. That's the chorus. Whether it was intentional on Robert's part or not, the only Robert Hoyt album that you can find on some streaming platforms, like YouTube, is Mind's Eye, a fantastic album. Whether As American As You and Dumpster Diving Across America aren't there because he never got around to uploading them or because these albums no longer met his standards, I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised by either possibility. Either way, Robert was not a fan of technology or the internet and engaged with things like websites, music streaming, or social media platforms on a sporadic and very limited basis, which I'm fairly sure is the main reason you'll find so little of, about him online. You won't find Robert Hoyt on Spotify, but you will find Bob Palindrome. The guy in the hat there, that's Robert, a man who made a big difference in the world for a lot of people, very much including me. One of the best things I ever did in life was to be Robert's bass player, no doubt about it. Long live planet Earth, and long live Robert Hoyt. I'll see you at the campfire, beneath the stars, guitar in hand. There's a star in the night sky Just a tiny light Seems insignificant It's not very bright 
But it's the most important star in the sky And as you listen You'll understand why It's the tip of the handle The little bear's tail Even Shines without fail And in this hemisphere Wherever you roam This tiny light Helps you find your way home And when you see this star Think about me About the times we had In times yet to be Look for the star And know when you do That I'll be watching this star And thinking of you Picture and hold it in your mind's eye. So when the walls close in, you can still see the sky. There are so few things on which you can depend, but you can count on this star. Shine without end And when you see this star Think about me About the times we had And times yet to be Look for the star And know when you do That I'll be watching this star and thinking of you. That I'll be watching this star and thinking of you. I'll be watching this star and thinking of you. Robert Hoyt Presente. I gotta give a little bit of background. And I was, yeah, I was at that Harwood gathering. I got to see him and Danny play together. And I think, you know, I like to think of Earth First as sort of almost like a patch. They, you know, there was sort of a dead zone in direct action in this country. And for decades, Earth First was seizing. A, this next song he was talking about is called Jack Road. 
And what happened was that at the rendezvous, uh, they began just occupying national uh, forest where they were in front of the logging. Uh, they would do uh, dig trenches, would build fortresses, drop logs in the road, and just stay there through, in the case of Cove Mallard, in snowdrifts and would get supplies from the cities and were creating temporary autonomous zones in the forest, cop-free zones. People would spike the roads with nails. They would, and then branch out to where they were exploring further and further into the countryside. And of course, the state way overreacted. Like my first Earth First Rendezvous in 88 was, well, I want to get back to John, uh, to Robert Hoyt. So the next song of his I'm going to play is about one of those free states. It was at the end of an, it was during an Earth First rendezvous in Idaho. And they, we call it, it was the Jack Timber Cell, I think. I can't recall. We call it Jack Squat. And the rendezvous were for an entire week where everybody trained and talked and practiced. You could go to Aboriginal stalking skills workshops, learn how to make Apache scout pits, how to move in the forest quietly. There, I've been to campouts where they would bring um, dogs and show you how to lose dogs if you were being tracked by them. I mean, it was an intense earth first tree huggery, how to climb trees in the most wild, beautiful places across the country for a week. And what happened was, so at night, everybody would mask up and you'd have a hundred, a hundred people that were with just digging trenches in the roads, making Vietnamese tank traps, dragging logs into the roads. And you would see what a hundred people working all night long for a week. And that was one of the free states. And again, I can't, you got to put this in the context of the sort of the some of the brutality that happened and because the fbi was all over earth first from out of the gate uh they recognized them as a revolutionary resistance force that you know engaged in direct action and other activities and they set them up they did everything they did in cointel pro they and even worse like there's video where you'd have like there's one of like five women locked down in a uh, Forest Service office doing nonviolent resistance, and you see the 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 security for, for the Forest Service dipping mace on the tips of um, uh, Q-tips and then swabbing it under their eyelids. I mean, pain compliance, Tazars, it was all across the board, and it constant state harassment, but they couldn't get to them in the forest. And this song is about Jack Road. It's about one of those free states, which maintained itself afterward. They all did until the state, uh, the government, just ripped through all of them with an amazing brutality, tearing down all the stuff. And they won one of the campaigns. But that's what Jack Road is about. That's what this song is about. Once again, I want to dedicate the show to Robert Hoyt. That was David Rovix uh, talking about far more eloquently than I ever could about who Robert Hoyt was as a music musician. W-O-Z-O, the People's Radio needs listener financial support to stay on the air. Currently we owe over $1,000 to the various music licensing companies such as BMI and ASCAP. This is a yearly bill that we have to pay in order to remain on air. If you could help us with a donation of any amount it would help. Our Venmo account is at WOZO Radio FM. Thank you for helping to keep our scruffy non-commercial non-profit community-run radio station alive. 
Our Venmo account is at WOZO Radio FM.